Hi, I'm Melissa Ritz, and this is Served, a podcast about female military veterans and their experiences in and out of uniform. Today, I'm joined by Air Force veteran Dr. Erin Myers, founder and CEO of Evolve Coaching and Consulting, which empowers high-achieving women to live a life of balance and global impact through network marketing. Erin, thanks for joining me today. We were recently introduced through Dr. Bethany Miller, a former guest on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today because I think a lot of listeners will relate to your experiences in juggling the responsibilities of motherhood and a career, especially in the midst of a global pandemic with COVID, where people have been unexpectedly forced out of their comfort zone. But before we hear about your evolution as an entrepreneur, share with us where you're from originally and what your experiences were like that led you to serve in the military. Yes. So I have a unique background, I would say. I claim to be from Wisconsin because both of my parents are from Wisconsin originally, but I was actually born and raised overseas. So I spent 17 um, or 14 out of the first 17 years of my life overseas. So I was born in Cairo, Egypt to two U.S. citizens. So I'm a U.S. citizen born abroad and then moved to Jakarta, Indonesia, and then spent a little bit of time back in the U.S., but then did the majority of middle school and high school in Dubai, the United Arab Emirates. So yeah, I had this varied kind of youth (laughs) traveling all over the place. And we would always house sailors that would come into port in Dubai for uh, American holidays. So they would bring them in and we would have Thanksgiving dinner with them or Christmas dinner with them and just kind of give them a taste of the American culture while they were, you know, out at sea. I mean, I just loved hearing their stories. And then I really was attracted to the military environment because it has a lot of similarities to being an expat. You, you know, have your tight knit community and you all help each other out and you all celebrate kind of these unique and different holidays or aspects of life that the culture outside of your little community may not necessarily celebrate. So there's just so many parallels to the military community that that lifestyle just really attracted me. And so I spoke to several pilots and I I really wanted to be a pilot. That's what I wanted to do. But I spoke to several pilots and a couple of other, you know, military officers and some enlisted personnel while they were staying at our house or speaking at our American school in Dubai um, and just kind of figured out what path they wanted to go on. And I knew right away that, you know, it was either going to be the Navy or the Air Force, but I wanted to go to college first and be an officer. So did you do high school stateside or overseas? So I actually didn't graduate overseas. My dad was going to be leaving his position in Dubai in the middle of my senior year of high school. So what I did was I moved back the summer before my senior year to Wisconsin and lived with my aunt while my parents and my sister were wrapping up in Dubai so that I would at least have one year of continuity my senior year. And then they joined me about partway through my senior year back in Wisconsin. So I did all the way through junior year in Dubai. And then my senior year and graduation was technically out of Northland Pines High School in Eagle River, Wisconsin. Wow. I can relate to that in a way that my dad was stationed in Germany. So I went to high school in Frankfurt and my senior year of high school, he got stationed in Alabama. So uh, I know what that transition is like. And then you immediately know that you're going to go to the military. So do you go through ROTC? Yes. So I actually ended up doing OTS. I 
went, did my undergrad and then did a year of my master's degree and got, while I was, I actually did my master's degree, the first part of my master's degree in Rome, Italy. Um, and so I got notification that I was accepted for officer training school when I was in my master's program in Rome, but they wouldn't do a flight physical for me at, at Aviano in Italy they made me come back to the States. So I left my master's program, did my flight physical and told them I wanted the soonest OTS class as possible. And so that's what I did. I, I moved back just for a couple of months before they could get me into an OTS class and then commissioned and then finished my master's while I was a lieutenant. What is your master's degree in? My master's degree is in human relations. And then I actually ended up doing my PhD while I was active duty using the GI Bill. So what was your job in the Air Force? Did you become a pilot? So this is another unique story because I just like to, you know, never sit still, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, so I started off as an air battle manager. So I was too short to be a pilot or a navigator. So the next flying career is an air battle manager. I was going to be on the E3 the AWACS. And so for those that aren't familiar with the Air Force uh, aircraft inventory, it's the one that looks like it has a UFO on the top, the black and white UFO that spins around at the top. So that's what I was going to start off being. Um, but I actually met my husband while I was at officer training school, and he is a KC-10 pilot. And we were never going to be able to be stationed together unless we were deployed to El Dafra. That's the only base where the E3 and the KC-10 would ever be in the same geographic location. So I ended up cross-training then into personnel because personnel can be anywhere. And so we put my husband's career and anybody who has joined spouse in the military knows that someone's career needs to come first. And so we put my husband's career as a pilot first. And where were you stationed? Uh, all of the stations. <laughs> so in order to even get a joint spouse assignment, I had to like stepping stone closer to him. So when we got married initially, I was at Tinker and he was at Travis and in California. So Tinker in Oklahoma and then Travis in California. And then they were able to give me a joint spouse assignment to California, but not to Travis initially. So I ended up in, by happenstance, like one of our favorite places in the entire world, which was Monterey, California at the Defense Language Institute. And just loved it because of growing up overseas, and you can relate to this, you know, spending a lot of time overseas as well, just having the varied cultures and the languages and everything, it just felt so at home. It was awesome. So it was one of these beautiful, like, well, crap, I wanted Travis because that's where my husband is. But then I, we ended up just loving, loving the Presidio of Monterey. And how many years had you been in at that point? Maybe three and a half by that point. And what year was that? So this is 2011. I like to ask that question because I was in from 95 to 03. So I was in during peacetime right into the invasion in Iraq. And then you joined a wartime military. It's just a unique experience that you have that I learned from as the evolution of the military goes on and, and what women's experiences were like. So was your husband deploying a lot of that time? Yeah, so he's deploying the whole time. His end goal was always to ultimately be a UPS pilot. And so he was trying to get pilot in command hours. So he was volunteering to deploy. And kind of going back to your, you know, I joined a wartime military. It, it doesn't even feel like that because growing up in the Middle East, we were always at war. 
And so it was just a continuation of my life almost. So it's funny that, you, you know, those of you that joined before 9-11 kind of say that, that, you know, oh, well, you that joined after, you guys did a great thing. I'm like, well, you know, this, that was my life. I, we used to be able to walk outside our house in Dubai and watch what appeared to be kind of like shooting stars, but it was actually the missiles being shot off of the aircraft carriers. And to, you know, serve the country that I would always claim to be from was just part of that path for me of that continuation of life for me. You know, I'd always claimed to be from the United States, but had never felt that I had given to the United States because I hadn't lived there. And so it was just my way of kind of fulfilling that need for who I claimed to be in my identity. And how long did you serve in the Air Force? So six years active duty. And then technically I'm still in the IRR. So after Monterey, where was your next duty assignment? So Travis was my next one then. So they had a volunteer position come available for a sexual assault response coordinator. I raised my hand and said, yes, you know, I want to, I want to do that. I want to finally be stationed with my husband. And so I put my name in the hat and got selected for it and ended up at Travis on that special duty assignment. What was that job like? It was tough. Um, it was very tough. There were days when I would come home and I just, it was nearly impossible for me to separate myself emotionally from it. One time where I had to make the call as the officer in the room to put someone in a five point restraint and have them, you know, sent off to um, what was four East at the time, which is the, you know, the mental health unit. I came home that day, just crying. I just laid down on the floor and I sobbed. And my husband was like, I don't know what to do. You just tell me what to do. I'm like, I just need this moment. You know, I just need this space and I need this time to process my emotions and let them out. And so it was very difficult. You know, it was, but that point in time, you know, being trained in the military, it was easy enough to turn it off and do what you had to do in the moment. But as soon as I got home and kind of into, in a safe space, that was the time that I needed to be able to process everything that had occurred. And how long did you do that for? So I did that for a little over a year. Then that was the time that I, I chose to separate through the voluntary separation program um, because my husband got his dream job as a UPS pilot. And so we knew it was time to start a family. So I raised my hand to be part of the downsizing of the Air Force at that point in time. So you both transitioned out around the same time? We did. Yeah, there was a, uh, about a six-month gap where I stayed at Travis um, to, you know, fulfill my contract and my duty. And then I followed him to where we currently are now, which is in the Louisville, Kentucky area. So as you're both transitioning out, it had to be nice to have the support of someone else going through a similar transition from civilian, from military to civilian life. That was a really tough transition for me. So he, he automatically had a job um, and his entire training class, they were all veterans. And so they actually called them and they still joke around at UPS that that was the, the astronaut class, so to speak, because they bonded so well together. So he automatically had this kind of built-in team that he was transitioning out of the military with, and that all had similar backgrounds. And I, I had the exact opposite experience. I was going to a place where I had, you know, no family except for my husband's family, who was a beautiful family, but, you know, no, no built-in friends, none of my family, uh, 
really struggled to find a job because Louisville, Kentucky is a, they call it a big city with a small town feel. And it really is. If people ask you where you went to school, they don't mean college. They mean high school. It is a very, like, you have to know someone to get a job type of mentality. Um, So it was a tough transition for me. Did you have your PhD at that time? I was finishing up my dissertation. Yeah. So I, I separated September 2014 and I completed my PhD in January of 2015. So I was right there at the end trying to knock it out. And that was honestly part of the problem was that people told me I was overeducated and underexperienced. That was what I was going to comment on, that you have so much education that you're probably overqualified for a lot of the jobs. You're probably more overqualified than the people who are interviewing you or reading your resume. And then couple that with a military background. In my experience, people get very intimidated by that. So what were your next steps? So I thought for sure I wanted to work in a corporate environment, you know, kind of maintain that hierarchy that I'd had in the military. There's a lot of comfort with that bureaucracy, um, just transitioning out, you know, and some people want to escape it right away. I did not. I wanted to stay in it. You know, I thought when I entered the military that I was going to make it a career. And I even had mentors that said, Aaron, what are you doing? You know, you could have been a general, but I knew at the same time that having the balance of family and a job was important. It was even more important to me. And so I knew that if I wanted to have any semblance of a normal family, quote unquote, that I was going to have to put the military career aside and follow my husband. And I thought I had set myself up for success to do that. But anyway, that, you know, that parallel between the military and the corporate world was what I was comfortable in. I was really good in the kind of rigid structured environment and I enjoy organization and strategy. And (laughs) so that's what I was looking for. But everybody kept telling me, you know, you just don't have business experience. I'm like, what do you think the government is? It is a business, right? And I was human resources in the government. Yes, benefits and compensation are prepackaged according to Congress. But Other than that, I mean, the human factor of it is all the same. Um, And so is, you know, a lot of the organizational structure. And that's what my PhD was in is organizational development and leadership, which I like to say is you can have the perfect systems in a business, but as soon as you throw humans in, they can go go to hell in a handbasket really quickly. (laughs) And you can have the perfect humans who have all the right knowledge and skills and abilities, but if you don't have the right systems in place, it's all going to fall apart as well. So it's finding the balance between the two. So I thought I had the, you know, the perfect skill set and education and background to be able to make a big difference in the corporate world. But like you said, people were intimidated. They thought that I had, you know, boots in the trenches experience rather than running a business, which is exactly what you know, running a squadron or a wing or whatever, you know, is. So I just kept getting pushback after pushback after pushback. So I became what I like to call an accidental entrepreneur. Well, there's so much in there that it's people's perceptions of what a veteran is, right? And what our our roles were, that they don't see it, that it can be a very, uh, quote unquote, nine to five job, that not everybody deploys, not everybody's having that experience that most people think of that Hollywood pushes out there that it can be a very corporate kind of lifestyle. 
as you're hitting all these doors closing, it's really opening up doors to entrepreneurship. So it's almost that moment of not giving up and not taking these closed doors as, as a sign to give up, but how that quote unquote failure maybe of closing doors leads you to what you want to do. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So I became an accidental entrepreneur. What ended up happening is people weren't willing to necessarily take a chance on me as being an employee, but they were willing to offer me contracts. And so fortunately, I had my husband's great job with excellent benefits to be able to lean back on. And a lot of veterans do as well. You know, if they retire or were um, became medically, you know, disabled in some set which I am as well. I have a disability rating through the VA and I would encourage all veterans to go and do that if you haven't yet. I had that opportunity to you know, take on those contracts because I didn't need the built-in benefits of being employee, so to speak, a W-2. And so I ended up taking these contracts on and just finding that I absolutely loved the variety that came with the contracts, you know, getting to see the different cultures of different organizations that wanted to hire me and to provide some sort of value and to be able to immediately see the impact that I made on the organizations as well was huge. And I think we as veterans, you know, are all looking for some level of continuing to serve and I definitely got that fulfilled by taking on these contracts and just seeing the difference that I was making in companies and businesses, which you may not actually be able to do as an entrepreneur. And so that's kind of how it all started. I think that's such a great story and really applicable to what people are going through today as they're trying to reinvent themselves and find new career paths. And so from those first few contracts, was it pretty easy then to get other work? How do I want to put this? So I... Because I initially was really trying to find a job, I was trying to really network into the community because I realized that's what I needed to do in this really tight-knit community. And I found other veterans who had, you know, experience in areas that I was interested in. And so through that, I was able to pretty much organically build this business and just get referral contracts after referral contracts. And it did really allow me to provide that value. But most importantly, it also got me networked into this wonderful kind of heart-centered community where we all wanted to help serve. Whether we were veterans or not, the people that I ended up meeting were very heart-centered serving individuals. And ultimately about, um, I guess it would have been about four years later, I, I was also doing adjunct work at a couple of local universities, um, but I got a call that said, Aaron, we want you to put your name in a hat for a professor position. I was like, oh, I just had my second child. I don't know if this is what I want to do right now. I'm really enjoying the freedom that entrepreneurship can provide. But um, I also loved the impact that I was having on students and the work that I was doing as an adjunct. And this position was for working professionals, a lot of whom were veterans, about 33 percent were veterans. And um, the majority were somehow military affiliated, whether that's spouse or dependent, whatever. And so all working professionals looking to come back and get their degree. You have to have a minimum of at least five years of work experience. So I thought about it for a while. You know, I talked to my husband about it and I realized, you know, yeah, I love teaching. I love feeling connected to that military community again. And so I went ahead and put my 
my name in the hat for that and did get the position. Yeah, I was a professor for about two, full professor, not full professor in title, um, but full-time assistant professor <laughs> um, for about two years before the beginning of COVID hit. And then um, that is the start of a whole other story. Don't know if you're ready to dig into that or if you want more information about the other. Yeah, yeah, share because a lot happened. The start of COVID is also the start of my entrance into being a mother of three. So my third son was, and I shouldn't say third son, my third child was my second son. So I have one uh, four-year-old, the time of this recording, right? One four-year-old daughter a two and a half year old son and a one year old son. Um, and the first two, actually, we could get into a whole other tangent on that because the first two are IVF, which a lot of female veterans that I know personally, as well as just looking at the statistics require IVF in order to start a family. And so that's a whole other <laughs> segment as well. Um, but the third one, natural, completely unexpected and um, was the third one in 37 months. So I had had three children in 37 months. I had six weeks of maternity leave and then went back to being a professor. So I did that. I was back at work for literally five days before we were all sent home because of the start of COVID. So I was seven weeks postpartum working from home getting a promotion, and then because of COVID, having to take on an additional course load. So not only did I get a promotion, which had additional work requirements for it, but we were also required to take on additional course load. So my student population that I was responsible for increased by 66% over the same time the previous year. My husband was considered an essential worker being a UPS pilot because that was the start of COVID. So they were transporting PPE, all over the world. Um, and he, I think we figured out that even when he was deployed, he did not fly as much as he did at the beginning of COVID. Um, so he was gone all the time. The kids' daycare ended up shutting down. So I was trying to work 60 hours, about 50 to 60 hours a week from home with the three young kids who were at the time, you know, maybe 10 weeks by the time daycare shut down to and three and a half, um, and it was just impossible. So I, I broke, mentally broke. Um, I also had a breast cancer scare at the same time. So I was undergoing all of that and trying to figure out if I had cancer, <laughs> which I didn't fortunately, but you know, there's always that awkward period of what's gonna happen. And then I have three young kids. What's gonna, what am I gonna do with them? Is my husband gonna have to take leave? Like all this other stuff. Um, and so I did, I had a mental, just kind of a mental breakdown. I was having anxiety attacks and ended up using my VA resources, thankfully, and, you know, getting, getting some help and getting diagnosed with postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. So I ended up with severe postpartum anxiety and moderate postpartum depression. And I was able to take COVID FMLA, but that still only covered me at three quarters pay for 12 weeks. And I needed a lot more recovery time than that, um, to be honest. And so I ended up knowing that I needed to leave my job as a professor as much as I loved it. And it, that was really difficult for me. 
because I was admitting weakness in myself, which I'm sure as military veteran yourself, you can relate to that. Like it's really hard for us to admit weakness because we were trained and grew up in this male dominant world. And so especially something that's emotionally tied, that was hard. I mean, picking up the phone to call the psychologist the first time after my first panic attack was hard. Just admitting weakness to to admit that and then knowing that I needed to quit my job to take care of myself, to take care of my children, um, but also to take care of my students because I was taking on the burden of all of my students as well. Um, and so for me to, I probably couldn't have easily extended into some sort of medical leave, but I would have left the student population, which we had over 500 students um, that I was responsible for as a program director. Um, I would have left them one professor short in a time of need for everyone. But I think about that and that's still really hard. You know, I'm fighting back tears telling the story because if I had been in Canada, I would have had a year of maternity leave and they would have had someone that was able to short term um, fill me in and I would be right at a year now and I would be going back happy as a clan um, into that position. But unfortunately, in the United States, we still don't have that luxury. If you can even call it a luxury, it's really more of a necessity because there are so many of us that deal with that, you know, that post, those postpartum issues. And so now I'm, again, an accidental entrepreneur because I still feel the need to serve outside of my own family and to have a sense of purpose for myself outside of the identity of mother. Because for me, I love those women that can be stay-at-home moms. I'm not one of them. I don't know how they do it, <laughs> um, but I am not one of them. I still need something that I can call my own. And so I started my own business, you know, in, in the capacity that I was able to. And that was the beauty of being an entrepreneur, you know, going back to entrepreneurship again, as I could, I could pick it up as I needed and put it down as I needed um, as I recovered and, you know, kind of clawed my way back to psychological and physical health. Well, that is so much to go through in such a short amount of time. And I applaud you for reaching out and asking for help because when you're hyper-driven, it can be very difficult to reach out and ask for assistance. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but was there a sense of relief in talking to someone and, and getting a diagnosis of what you were experiencing? Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, first off, having someone recognize that this is normal, Right. I, I mean, not to mention the COVID stuff layered on top, but postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety is normal. It is something that women go through and you're not, you know, broken. You're not any less of a human being because of it. And there is so much of that mental health stigma in our culture to begin with, um, even more so in the military. And that is changing, you know, as a sexual assault response coordinator, I saw that change, fortunately, but we still have a lot of room for that. And, um, and yeah, it, it was nice to have those courses of action and to be recognized as, you know, this is temporary. This is something we can overcome. This is, this is what we need to do to work on that. Right. So you created Evolve Coaching and Consulting. And I love the word Evolve because we are ever-changing and so many people are going through huge personal evolutions right now. What has been the response to your program? It's been wonderful. So honestly, you know, I've kind of, the name evolve is is very strategic, right? We are we are ever evolving women. 
We are ever evolving human beings and there is never a point where we should be stagnant or feel like we have to be stagnant. We should always be learning and be changing um, in our relationships with our spouses, our significant others, with our children, with what we need to learn and, um, and what our profession is or whatever the case is. What I have found is that name has just resonated with so many people during this time. There's something that one of my clients actually said, she said, if 2020 doesn't bring the hustle out in you, nothing will. Um, And I love that because, you know, there has been this need for coaches and consultants to get out there and help people make the transition to, you know, there's so many of us that had to leave our jobs for various reasons during COVID. There are so many of us that needed to pick up an additional income stream. There are so many of us that just needed some life guidance during this time. And that really is what my business has, has all been about. And what I found is through my target population, which is high achieving women, most of whom are veterans, you know, that kind of need this additional sense of purpose to make an impact, to continue to serve in some way, um, or military spouses who feel that same need and who need something that is transient. There's this need for, for someone who can guide them to that. And what I found that kind of the easiest way for people to make that transition is through network marketing. And there's a lot of negative stigma around network marketing, just as there is kind of mental health, you know, there's that the generations that are like, oh, that's a pyramid scheme, but it's, it's not, it's, it's so much more than that. It is modeled after a lot of just, I'm staring at a Chase Bank in front of me, you know, normal business hierarchy. It's an easy way for someone to have a transient position or an additional stream of income or, you know, feel like they have a sense of purpose and a personal development and a community. Uh, And so I help women be successful in that because so many people just, they get into it knowing that there could be beauty in it, but they don't have the right mentorship to necessarily be successful because it's something so out of the box and out of the norm. And it takes a real entrepreneurial mindset to differentiate yourself and to build your own brand. And so that's kind of where Evolve ended up drifting to and kind of finding its niche in. Yeah. And the pandemic has been so jilting, it's forced people to evolve and reinvent. A component of your business is in coaching. Can you speak to that and how you've seen the coaching side of your business grow in the last 12 months? Yes, yes. So the other aspect of it is, you know, the business coaching for women entrepreneurs. You know, I have multiple clients that want to break free of Uh, the golden handcuffs, so to speak, and have better balance in their lives. Most of whom are, you know, mothers or women that just need to get out of the corporate hierarchy that is still unfortunately so male dominated and they want to do it through entrepreneurship. And so there's that business coaching aspect as well for just starting a business and, you know, figuring out what that purpose is, what that, what that desire to serve should be about um, and how to find that and identify your ideal clients and business opportunity and how to build and scale that. Um, And so the network marketing side and the, you know, the entrepreneurial coaching side of it, they're so paralleled. There's so much that is the same. It's just one provides, you know, kind of the product 
for you. <laughs> and the other is, you know, what service or product can you provide that fulfills this desire to serve? And all your services can be found on your website, erinmyers.com. Also on your Instagram account, Erin Myers, you've collaborated with One Hope. Yes. What does this organization mean to you? One Hope means so much. Um, first off, something that um, ties me back really closely to that, to that moment of breaking at the beginning of COVID um, and with, you know, being very newly postpartum. One Hope is an, a private Napa Valley winery. And every night I was, after the kids were in bed, it, my moment of just kind of self-reflection and almost meditation was with a glass of wine in my hand. It was my moment of escape when I was at my lowest point. And uh, good wine is just, it means so much to me. And throughout my whole life, um, it has kind of been intertwined. And so it's this wonderful wine, but not just that, not just that, it serves. That wine, the majority of profits go towards charities. Every single bottle is linked to a particular nonprofit. On top of that, when you purchase through a tasting, you can donate 10% of all of your sales to a nonprofit. For example, I'm doing a nonprofit for someone out of Fayette, a nonprofit. I'm doing a fundraiser for a nonprofit, <laughs> which is out of Fayetteville, North Carolina. That's called A Purpose for Living. And it provides meals and shelter for homeless, the homeless population in Fayetteville. And 10% of all of wine purchases will go towards that nonprofit. And so you can host a tasting and fundraise for a nonprofit of your choice, something you're passionate about, or you can have nonprofits that are fundraising for themselves through this wine. It is redirecting spending that we're already doing to continue to serve and to make a global impact. You can learn more about this organization at onehopewine.com. In wrapping up, I like to end each episode with this question. If a young woman were to approach you today and say she's thinking about joining the military, what would you say to her? I would say if it's something that you are doing with your heart, it's emotionally tied to you in some way, you have a desire to serve, a desire to make an impact through these channels, do it. If it's all logical, and you want to do it because you need to prove that you're a badass woman, don't do it. Um, it needs to be a heart-centered need to serve in order for your time in the military to really feel like it has meant something to you. Ooh, I love that. A heart-centered need to serve. Erin, thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. Yeah, no problem. And thank you for listening. If you're a veteran in crisis or are concerned about one, contact the Veterans Crisis Line at 800-273-8255, option one, or visit veteranscrisisline.net. Confidential support is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year.